Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Guess what? Father's Day, rolling up soon, right around the corner. Mother's Day as well. Hey, the mother's on your list. I mean, my wife, she loves to hunt and fish. She loves the outdoors just practically as much as I do. So, if you're looking for a Mother's Day or a Father's Day gift, hey, we've got it at GreatDaysOutdoors.com. All you have to do is head on over to GreatDaysOutdoor.com and check out the best gifts for the outdoorsman in 2021. We've curated a bunch of unique ideas to help you find an awesome gift for the outdoorsman on your list. Just head on over to GreatDaysOutdoors.com slash best fishing gifts for outdoorsmen to check it out. I'm your host, Brian Sin. Thank you guys for joining in today. Man, got an exciting episode of today. We always, once a month at least, we try to bring you a special episode with the Management Minute with Southeastern Pond Management and Norma Latona. And and, uh, we've got some other good guests after that. So greatly appreciate you guys getting on. Hope you learned something today. Let's get right to it for segment one with Management Minute. Norman, how's it going, brother? Hey, buddy. How are you, Brian? I'm going, doing going good. well. Good, good, man. Glad to hear it. And I, I know that me and you got a couple things in common. One of them is that we like fish. We like to fish, love to fish, but we also love to turkey hunt. And I know that you'll, you get uh, you get tunnel vision a little bit like I do this time of the year. How's turkey season going so far? <laughs> it's going good. You know, it's been been fun so far when the when we're not getting drenched it's been uh a few rainouts, but uh Ooh. but yeah been a been a good good early season lots of gobbling and a few nice mornings and this have they been gobbling been good for you yeah pretty good uh you know i i didn't hear anything yesterday and uh which was a little surprising it was cold but it was a real pretty morning and but that was the first morning. It'd been kind of slow. They, I've been talking pretty good up to then. I didn't go this morning. It was pouring down rain when I woke up. But uh, I think it's going to pick back up this week. It's supposed to get cold on us, you know. But I don't yeah. think that really bothers them too much if it's dry and sunny and not too windy. Yeah, that's uh, so. the main thing, right? Yeah, and man, I, sure. I hate to even admit this to you, but I hadn't even been yet. We had spring break oh, yeah. out well, of town. The weather's just been I awful. Feeling. But I may change all that in the morning because I know right where he's going to be in anyway. I believe I do, unless something right. drastically changed. Uh, I that's know right. I need to go, and I, I'll let that's that right. turkey. I'll let that same turkey that's been beating me up the last couple of years uh, <laughs> on me one more year. Right. Let's get to the segment, man. Uh, you know, one of the we we love doing the the management minute with with you every month and today's topic is going to be creating fish habitat that's something we've talked on uh and talked around in the past with you man i'd kind of like to dive a little bit deeper into that from and, and maybe we start off with a new pond uh, and, and, and things that people can do and that you guys services that you offer to create the right habitat. And that could be all the way from bait fish to, to largemouth or crappie. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We, I, you know, I just spent uh, 30 minutes on the phone 
just yesterday with a gentleman up in North Alabama who's uh, just got his equipment in. They're starting to try to move around some dirt. You know, it's awfully wet to be building ponds still. But uh, and I was telling him he's in the he's a he's a contractor, an earth mover, and in the dirt contracting business. He said I've got access to old cracked up culvert pipes and concrete rubble and and all sorts of debris and construction debris and he said you know should i can i use any of that or should i use any of that you know gravel rock riprap sand i said yes 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 to everything <laughs> i mean you know the, the truth is when you got a a canvas a blank canvas you know a brand new pond really your imagination is the limit in terms of what you can put down under the under eventually what will be flooded you know under the surface of the water and i told him you know fish are are so adaptive that they don't really need it it doesn't they don't have to have it uh they're not gonna gonna perish without it but bass and bluegill and crappie and the kind of fish that we like to fish for and target you know, in these warm water fisheries in, in the South, I mean, they 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 will use it if you provide it. They'll you know they'll use it for spawning habitat for sure. You know, sand and gravel and uh, small rock and pebbles. Uh, they will utilize virtually anything for ambush cover. You know, particularly largemouth bass and and uh, even crappie you know predators they're they're ambush predators so they'll they'll utilize that stuff uh whatever whatever you provide them to hide and 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 and, and wait for their prey and then you know likewise the, the prey fish will utilize the small nooks and crannies to protect themselves against predators and, and uh kind of a safe haven to to get away from from predators so you know there's not a, there's not a real uh it's not a uh an exact science in terms of how how much cover and what type cover um, we tell folks all the time you want to utilize whatever resources you have at your disposal if you've got a lot of uh, timber uh, left over from a, a grub operation or a timber operation that maybe you cut timber to build a lake you know use the spoil from that uh, first and foremost you know if you've got a bunch of spoiled dirt that you had to pull off or out of a lake to excavate it to get it a little deeper let's let's find a place to use that you know, likewise yeah. absolutely there's just uh you know you can do a whole lot with with excavating equipment with track hose and and so forth to dig ditches artificial canals channels uh benches in uh steep banks so that instead of having a 10 or 12 15 foot vertical bank you know you get down three or four feet and 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 build you a bench that you can pile some rocks on or some brush piles or something you know the one thing that i would say uh whether it's a new pond or for that matter even an existing lake and we'll get into talking about some different options for existing lakes here in a minute but either way the one the one i guess mistake that i see people make is they tend to 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 put far too much cover in 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 the deepest areas in the deepest regions and 
quite honestly, is probably a waste because in the spring and summer, uh, when we're doing most of our fishing, most folks, the fish are, the, the, these ponds uh, stratify, and they stratify thermally and chemically. You know, you, you've, you've jumped into a lake and felt that water ice cold mm-hmm. at your toes and it's bath water up around your chest, and that's an, that's a, that's an illustration of thermal stratification. Well, the water also stratifies chemically. So down there at your toes, when that water's real cold, there's not sufficient oxygen for fish to live for extended periods of time. So they're really forced to live in the shallower areas. And that 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 break point where it goes from warm to icy cold, where it goes from plenty of oxygen to none, is what we refer to as the thermocline. And you hear professional anglers and folks talk about the thermocline. Well, the thermocline is that is that break point. It's the deepest, coolest part of the water that still has sufficient oxygen for fish to to survive. So that they tend to find that thermocline. Usually in the summertime in ponds, uh, that's fairly shallow. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it varies depending on the overall depth of the lake, the depth profile of the lake, the amount of wind and wave action that 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 is in a, in a particular body of water, but I've seen it as shallow as three or four feet below the surface in the summertime, and, you know, it can certainly be deeper than that, six, seven, eight, nine, ten feet deep, but at some point, at some depth, particularly in the summer when that water, when the sun starts warming everything up, you're going to have that thermocline, and if you've got a bunch of uh, structure, habitat, below that depth, it's not going to be utilized at hmm. all. Now, in the wintertime, when there's not that stratification uh, present, certainly fish will use really deep water structure. But most of the summertime, even late spring and into the fall, fish are going to look for that thermocline, and that's where they're going to live. So the point is, focus your structure placement, your habitat placement, in moderate shallow to moderate depths that's where the fish are going to be that's five where they're going to live 15 foot range definitely or even even Early even shallow. five you know yeah. even five to seven or three to seven i mean unless you're unless you're planning to run an outboard and and you know do some other water sports skiing or something like that it really doesn't matter if you've got structure that comes up to two or three feet below the surface you know unless you're going to do a lot of swimming or or, or other types of you know, like I said, skiing. Yeah, uh, it shouldn't yeah. matter. So it's it's going to be covered up regardless. A lot of folks like the structure to come up out of the water just because it makes it easier to find for them. You know, for the angler. So yeah, it, so that's that's something to, to really keep in mind. And and the other thing that I would say to folks is we're not the point of habitat. Again, fish are so adaptive; they don't have to have it. Bluegill and bass are going to spawn whether they've got pebble, sand, river gravel bottoms or not. Now, they prefer it. If you put it there, they'll use it. But if it's not there, they're still going to spawn. Point of all, point of making is this is all about making the lake angler-friendly, angling-friendly. This mm. is all about the fishermen. This is all about us. Fish will ad- adapt to whatever conditions are present. 
but you can certainly put stuff in and, and attract fish to an area and make it a, a more fishable, more fishing friendly lake. Well, it, it's so real, man, that, that is really interesting, Norman, and and something that you know when you talk about deep water structure. You know, here on the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, we have guys over from all over the the the, the state, uh, from Gunnersville to Eufaula. And you hear these guys talking about catching fish. I mean, Smith Lake, I, I got a guy that's, he's catching bass at, at 90, 90 foot deep. But oh, yeah, sure. it's different. Different, in, totally it's, different. It's totally different in a river system than it is in, yeah. a, in a pond. Yeah. Uh, and I don't it's... know that I realized that until you said it. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, I've got uh, a good friend of mine built a beautiful lake about 15 acres, 12, 15 acres, really deep in the middle toward a dam. Well, all his timber that was, it was, it, it was all timber when he built the lake. He built the dam and flooded mm -hmm. it basically. But what he did is he went in that deeper water and he, he cut the trees, but didn't cut them up to where they would fall, but didn't like cut them all the way off to where they would float away, you know, or drift. It would, he kind of held them to the stump, the, the tree. So he's got all this, all the, and he was like, man, I got so much structure in deep water. Summertime fishing is going to be awesome when they move out to the deeper water. Mm. We, we've never caught them there. And we we're always scratching our head going, what the crap, man? We got all this structure here. And it's summertime. Yeah. Fish are supposed to move out in the deeper water in the summertime when it gets yeah. hot. But but we missing uh, we missing the whole thermocline conversation. Yeah, I mean they, those fish would would probably love to be in that cooler, deeper water, but uh, but there's just not enough oxygen to to support them, uh, so they're not going to be there. Now in the wintertime, uh, you know, jig fishing in November and December and January, heck yeah, those those fish will find that deep water stuff and 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 and, and they'll live in it. But in the summer, not the case. And you can actually take, uh, and we've done it many, many, many times, but you can actually take a, a, a thermometer and lower it down. You know, we've got a dissolved oxygen meter is what we use. It's got a thermometer on it. It's got a, it measures the dissolved oxygen in the water as well. It's a probe, uh, you know, looks like a little, uh, you know, like a large bullet and it's on a cable and we've got it marked in one foot increments and you can lower that thing down into the water column and you'll, you'll hit a point, you know, whether it's four five, six, seven, ten feet deep, but at some point, particularly as the water surface temperature really warms, where all of a sudden that temperature and the dissolved oxygen will just plummet. I mean, it'll drop, <clears throat> The actual the definition of the thermocline, the textbook definition from limnology back in back in the good old days that I can barely remember from school is a is, is a well I'm making a fool of myself because I can't remember the, the the temperature difference but it is a it's a it's a several degree drop in in less than one meter. So typically when you lower a probe down to the water, you'll see obviously the temperature at the surface is going to be the highest anywhere in the lake. You know, you get a foot below the surface, it's going to be a degree or two cooler. You know, you get two or three feet. As you drop, it goes down. But you'll hit a point mm -hmm. where it'll drop 
six, seven, eight, ten degrees in, in less than a you know, in less than a meter, less than three feet. It's obvious, and very noticeable. Very noticeable. And in fact it's so it's so pronounced that, you know, some of the, uh, most of the, the quality sonar equipment, uh, these mm-hmm. machines that folks have on boats now can actually pick it up and read it. And what, what that sonar equipment is picking up and marking is the, the change in the density of the water. It can actually read that, sending those, those pings down into the water, which is how that, those machines work. So cold water is more dense than warm water. That's really what leads to this stratification in the first place. That colder water sits down below the warmer water. It has a higher density. The colder water gets, the more dense it is until it turns into ice. When it turns into ice, it's less dense than boiling water, which is crazy, but that's a really unique property of water and that's why ice floats and we're fortunate that it works that way otherwise lakes would freeze from the bottom up and fish would all die because the lake would freeze solid Mm. but anyway not to get sidetracked there but but that sonar equipment can actually read that thermocline so these guys you know these professional fishermen and folks that really you know know how to work their electronics they can they can look at it they can see it on their machine you know, they'll see a, yeah. a, a line. Something, and it's something they look for. I mean, it's it's, it's important. Absolutely, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no point in fishing below it. Uh, and, so but, let's... Now, let, but like you said, in the in the rivers, it may be 40 feet deep. It may not exist because there's so much current, in there, right. for example. You know, that it, it just it, mixes it. it. it keeps, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's, that's good, man. That is really, that's something that, uh, that I've never thought about. And, and I fished wrong in summertime lakes for that reason. Cause and I you know, know, we tell, I know we tell that, people. it makes so much sense when you say it, because I know that I've, I'm, you know, been around fishing long enough to know that below the thermocline is, is really not good. And nah, it's and, dead water. Yeah. But then you got it in your mind just from growing up being a river fisherman. Uh, and, and fishing these large lakes, you have it in your mind that summertime, when that water warms up, fish move out to cooler water. So you need to go out and find, yeah. try to find these schooling fish out in deeper water. But that's not the case in, in these ponds. Not, like, not, it's lakes. not. And, and, you know, again, they'll find, they'll find the deepest water they can find. They, they want to be in that cooler water. Mm-hmm. And, and look, they'll chase something down there or something's running from them. You're running a crankbait through there. You know, it dips below the thermocline. I'm not saying a fish can't zip down there and grab something, and, and they'll do it. But but they're not going to go down there. Where they're, no, they're just not. They're not going to set up camp there. They can't. They can't breathe. I mean, it'd just be like you walking into a room with no oxygen. You're not going to stay in there very long. Right. Uh, no matter what's in there, you know, you, you, you can't. Mm-mm. So point of all this, again, is when you're designing and deciding – where to put structure and habitat, uh, you just need to be mindful of that because you can waste a lot of time and effort sinking structure down into areas where you're just not going to, they're not going to hold fish. And we try to encourage folks to focus on shallow and moderate depth Mm -hmm. to put their cover because that's where those fish are going to be. 
Do you, uh, and you hit on this a second ago, as far as um, new pond construction and reworking an old pond, even maybe uh, if it's drained, like you said, a bluegill, a bass, he's going to find somewhere to bed. But is there an advantage? You know, I see people build ponds and they put gravel in spots, pea gravel out, or mm-hmm. they put sand, or is, is that something that is worthwhile to do? Yeah, it, it, it really is. Sand and pea gravel or a mix of those two is what I prefer because if you just use sand, it, it, it's so light and small and fine that it tends to get covered up with silt and sediment more more quickly. It, it, it's more subject subject to be moved around with any kind of current. You sort of mix pea gravel or some small gravel and some and sand and it's and it just holds better but it's a that is a fantastic habitat enhancement uh doesn't have to be a big area it can be an area as small as a bed of a pickup truck uh obviously you can make them 10 times that size if you want to uh we tend to try to find you know three to five foot water depth is probably ideal plenty deep enough to keep predators from above at bay and but but shallow enough that you get some some water some warmth and you stay above the thermocline put that that gravel and sand uh, spread it and those bluegill particularly bluegill and, and shellcracker if they're present and to some extent bass and other fish but bluegill and shellcracker will find that a hundred times out of a hundred, and I guarantee you they're going to spawn there. They may spawn in other places. They are going to spawn on that gravel. They 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 prefer it, especially in cases where the rest of the bottom is is real silty and mucky, and mm-hmm. they and and they can spawn on that. But you know, you, t- you well, I was here about fish fanning their beds. You know, they're trying to fan out that real fine material to get something kind of solid. Uh, something that's 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 substantial, and that's what they prefer. And so those brim and and like I said, even bass, you know, they're gonna they're gonna wave fan their beds out, get something kind of nice and solid and clean, and that's where they're that's where they prefer I, to spawn. I, same's true with catfish as well. I know that when we're uh, when we're noodling, and you stick your hand in a, in a box or in a hole or under a under a boat ramp and if it's real silty and mm-hmm. slushy you might as well just move on he ain't there mm-hmm. but if you stick your hand in and it's a hard bottom that's been cleaned out yeah. there's yeah. a fish either in there or he's been in there recently or they've been in there that's, that's right. right yeah that's right 100 they yep. get in there and clean yep. it out so they can so they can uh lay their eggs absolutely yeah well, and we, we we do that a lot we use a lot of we and 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 honestly, and folks identify with this at fishing ponds. I mean, a lot of times when folks put in primitive boat ramps, whether they're gravel or crushed concrete or even solid con, you know, poured concrete, or those areas end up being popular spawning areas, you know, mm-hmm. because of that hard bottom and that that gravelly, sandy uh, substrate. And they'll they'll come in there and find that stuff, but. Uh, ideally, you go create an area elsewhere, you know, where you're not backing right. in and out, running over beds and stuff, and and they'll they'll flat find it. 
I mean, they'll be in it. They'll be, they'll be on it quickly and they'll stay on it year after year after year. So that's one of the, one of the, the tricks and it's fairly economical, you know, sand and gravel is pretty sure. inexpensive and it lasts, you know, forever in theory, you know, it's not going anywhere. Uh, and the fish will keep it pretty clean and they'll just keep using it. Over, you know, over, speaking over. of uh, speaking of lasting forever, uh, this is something I got educated on uh, with another one of our podcasters, uh, actually a crappie fishing guy, and we were talking about structure, and he puts out a lot. I mean, this guy, he's I think he's got over twenty five hundred waypoints marked in his GPS of stuff that he's either found or put out over the years. Uh, he don't hardly go to the lake without putting something out. But the the thing that these new uh, high-tech uh, fish finders and sonars have have educated some of these guys on is like the side view is is something that they that they've can see this on they're like you know we will put out let's just say three or four christmas trees in a place and it's you know it, it looks great fish are around it it's, it's, it's standing up, you know, on the side, you know, it's, it's risen up. He said, but you'll come back and all of a sudden you'll quit, you know, a few years later, you wonder why you're not catching fish on it. We've always wondered that. Why are we catching fish on it? There's always been fish here. I put this out years ago and I used to, last year I was catching a ton of fish. He said, but now with that side view, you can see that over time that it will, that, that natural structure in that lake that you put out, will basically collapse on itself and fall in oh, sure. but what used yeah. to be three or four foot tall or five mm-hmm. foot tall is now a foot tall and it's not holding fish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have to continually yeah. go back and, and put new stuff out or, or put artificial in. Um, yeah. And what, what, that's a good segue into what I wanted to mention too, in terms of particularly existing lakes that, that suffer that, problem that you just described or maybe just don't have much covered and habitat to begin with but there are some in the past oh decade uh in particular there are a number of of uh viable options that have been created by various companies that are artificial elements artificial structure fairly economical last forever you know started out it was just kind of blocky you know, sort of anything we can put together that's made of poly or PVC or plastic that, that, you know, kind of will hold up over time. And, but in the past several years, these companies have gotten super creative. I mean, they, they make trees, they make bushes, they make things with limbs. Texas Hunter, uh, which is a really innovative company, we sell a ton of their fish feeders. They make fabulous fish feeders they make fantastic hunting blinds all the way from you know little ground blinds all the way up to big massive uh, shooting houses and all sorts of feeders we use their fish feeders but they make all all types of fish feeders but they have uh, invested in the past year or two into product development and they are launching some amazing stuff lily pads float on the surface you know simulate lily pads and and create top water fishing they've got grasses and 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 leafy stuff that's designed to deploy and sink to the bottom and stands upright 
but it's made of materials that'll last for you know years or decades. Um, there's a couple other companies out there that 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 do the same, and we've utilized some of their products as well. So, point is, if you're if you're interested in in ratcheting up your habitat game, and you want something that's going to last and is fairly easy to handle, fairly easy to deploy, and down get it to where you want it there's a lot of really good options out there now and, and we get heavily involved and in coming up with kind of a plan design if you will and and then obviously going out and installing the stuff sure and and they flat hold fish no doubt about it and they last last for a long yeah. long time they yeah. last for a yeah, long sure long do. time so that's a that's a key yeah. point is it's not something you have to go yeah. back and redo every couple of years uh, for year, years and years you know and i've done it too uh you know folks use christmas trees and cedar boughs and small cedar trees and 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 listen that stuff's great i mean uh, it it works it holds fish and uh, you know i've caught enough crappie to fill up a dump truck off of stuff like that over the years uh and but you do have to replace it i mean yep. it, it just it just really a year or two in that fairly shallow water it, it's not what it once was and then it's and, gone you know, yeah it doesn't hold it like gone. it used to yeah we've got a guy uh we've got a podcaster and uh tony adams down in ufala he, he's probably i mean his crappie fishing is i, I don't know that there's any I, I literally don't know that there's anybody that catches as many property crappie and as many quality crappie as this guy catches it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what he does every single day that he goes out and guides on these trips but one thing that he does is um especially this time of well, not this time of year, it's a little late now, but when people are trimming their crepe myrtles, he goes out mm-hmm. and he, he through the neighborhoods and gets all these crepe myrtle clippings <laughs> and he'll take a, mm-hmm. he takes a five gallon bucket and mm-hmm. sits them in it and puts concrete in it. And that's what he puts mm-hmm. out. And, uh, but you can yeah. do it with crepe sure. myrtles or anything, but there again, he'll be quick to tell you that there's a window on that. I mean, of time that that's fishable, uh, and that it'll hold fish and over, over a certain mm-hmm. period of time, it, it, it'll stop holding the fish that it once did just because it just, it, it decays uh, and it falls in. Yeah, on especially if you keep that stuff up in the water column where you want it, like I said, above the thermocline yep. where there's oxygen, you know, it's going to decompose. Now you can take, you can take big timber and or small timber for that matter and sink it in 30 feet of water out in the middle of a lake but when the water temperature time. never gets above 45 degrees and there's hardly ever any oxygen down there, that stuff might last for 30 years, 50 yeah. years. I mean, it, but it's not really doing you any good either down there where the fish can't utilize it. So, I mean, they're pulling, still pull stumps out of rivers and stuff that have been down in the bottom mud that are 100 years old, you know, these yep. cypress logs yep. and things. It's It's amazing. But they've been down there in that anaerobic, water and mud you know where there's there is no oxygen, no oxygen to speak of and there's no decomposition because of that you take a a log and throw it along the bank and you know and you know even a big tree trunk you know in a couple three years you're going to notice significant deterioration so uh so there those artificial elements that we've got available are a really good option for for in some in some situations they're obviously a little more of an investment on the front end 
but you put them there and they're going to be there. You know, they're not going anywhere until you move them. So. Right. Yeah. And it makes it, uh, and you're right. It's for the fishermen. It's not, uh, it's, it's not for the fish. The fish are going to be fine, but it That's sure right. makes it fun to fish around. Uh, no question about it. And it improves yeah. how many you catch and, 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 and how you catch them. So it's uh, right. definitely a good option. As far as a, I mean, do you, you know, obviously with an existing pond, uh, we've got the, talked about a new pond, putting gravel in, putting structure in, artificial, you can use that in a new pond or you can use that in uh, an existing pond. Is there anything else that y'all do with maybe an older pond other than put in some of the stuff that you're talking about or is it just really what's available that they have that they can put in? Uh, yeah, I think it comes down to that a lot of times in terms of economy, you know, being economical about it. You know, some of these older lakes, they get really silted in um, and, and, and begin to to show their age, 30, 40, 50-year-old lakes. And eventually, these things need to be lowered or drained and renovated or at least lowered to the point where you can get some equipment around the edges, and we call it deepening the edges or mucking them out uh, you know that's a little bit different than structure placement or habitat but really it, it's a, it's a habitat improvement we do we do get involved in projects like that in some older lakes but the other i guess the other big big uh, habitat item that we run into and we get a lot of questions about is vegetation obviously aquatic vegetation can represent excellent habitat for fish and aquatic life. And, you know, you've talked to folks at Lake Gunnersville and they'll tell you how valuable aquatic vegetation can be in, in with respect to, to holding and growing and sustaining the fantastic bass fishery. And, and uh, the issue we run into with that is it's difficult to have a little bit of vegetation. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a hit or miss thing. We do have some lakes that have some what we call desirable vegetation that's uh, that's a little more manageable that tends to stay in the the margins and it's not as not as susceptible to 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 colonize in some of the deeper water areas and causing a real problem. So there are situations where aquatic vegetation, particularly shoreline based vegetation, can be great habitat. You know, we we actually encourage that. More often than not, better be careful what you ask for. You end up out there trying to fight the stuff, yeah, uh, because it wants to take over the lake, you know. And again, the fish don't necessarily mind it; they thrive in it. But it sure makes it challenging for the fishermen, for the angler. No and doubt. again, that's where our focus is. That's right. That's right. And it is. It's kind of all or nothing thing. It's hard. To, it's hard to have the best of both worlds there. And, and, and can like be that. yeah it can be difficult mm -hmm. take a lot of management to do that man great stuff norman appreciate you appreciate you jumping on man always look forward to this segment with you if you were going to man leave us with a tip just for the management minute tip of the day what tip would you have uh for structure well, I, I would go back to kind of that initial point I made, and that is fo focus focus your structure in, in shallow and moderate depths. Uh, 
not only uh, due to the thermocline, which is uh, we discussed, but most of us weekend warrior anglers, myself certainly included, are shallower fish. Shallow water fish are easier to catch than deep water fish. Those guys that are catching fish in 60, 70, 80, 90 feet of water, uh, they're pretty good at their trade. Uh, you yeah. know, they've got a lot of practice doing it. I would tell folks, you know, focus on, on shallow water uh, structure, uh, shallow to moderate, less than six, seven feet. And I think if you do that, in terms of adding structure or building a new lake, you're going to be uh, very pleased with uh, with the result. Good stuff, man. Well, this week's Management Minute tip of the day is brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Norman, I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, always love talking to you. Get after those turkeys, and uh, I'm going to get after myself tomorrow, and I'll talk to you again soon, brother. All right, Brian. Appreciate you guys as usual. Also, talk to you soon. Another awesome segment with Norman. Always appreciate him being on. As I said, he is a uh, man. What a lot of knowledge this guy has. They do an incredible job around the state of Alabama and the Georgia, Tennessee. So, if you guys, if you're thinking about building a lake, if you're thinking about redoing an existing pond or lake that you have, restocking, fertilizing, liming, these guys do it all and they do it well, give Southeastern Management and Norman a call, and it's what they do for a living, so they're really good at it. So we appreciate him. Let's talk about bass fishing. Segment two, Coosa River Report, Logan Parks from the Auburn University fishing team. What's going on, my friend, Logan? How's it going? Going good, man, going good. Just uh, watching it rain a lot lately. Seems like we can't get many sunny days. Oh yeah, I know it's uh it seems like pretty much everywhere around here is flooded too, you know, all this rain coming down from from uh the Coosa River and and Tennessee River, man. It's it's got everywhere. I mean, you go fishing, you're fishing like playgrounds and stuff. Uh, so all these lakes have that they let down for the summer, Martin, Logan Martin, uh, have these lakes with all this rain have have most of them filled complete are they full pool? Um, Lake Martin's definitely getting close. I haven't been out on Lake Martin in probably three or four weeks. So I'm sure it's up even more than the last time I saw it. I, I couldn't speak on what it's at right now, but I do know that, um, they had to call off a, a high school tournament on Neely Henry on the Coosa river, just because of how flooded it was. You couldn't even put in at the boat ramp. And then they just moved the, uh, the Bassmaster open was supposed to be, uh, April 1st through 6th or 1st through 3rd or whatever on Smith Lake. They moved it to October because it was so flooded. Yeah, I heard it was flooded. I had a, had a guy on uh, earlier and, and we were talking about, he was talking about how flooded it was and how that affected the spawn and all that. What, um, when the water comes up real quick like this, this time of year spring, I mean, you it's the time of year fish are going to the bed. How does this affect the fish and how does this affect you as a fisherman? I really hate when it floods, like, I don't know, like there's certain, in my opinion, there's certain conditions when it floods, it makes it really good. There's certain conditions when it floods, it makes it like not so good. Like when it floods and it's cold still, like if it floods in like February, you want to think when it floods that the fish are going to get up shallow. And I, I think that a lot of them still do, but I feel like a lot of times if the water temperature, you know, is still down around, like low 50s that when it floods 
I think those fish still relate to kind of like the normal stuff they would relate to. They don't get up there like way shallow when it's real cold like that. If it's if it's warmed up, you can you can fish you can catch some fish off some pretty cool stuff. Even park benches and and like pine trees in people's backyards and stuff <laughs> like that. What about what about springtime? So like right now conditions. You know, all this rain, we just had a ton more today and last night, so it's going to be coming up even more, getting muddier. What's that doing to the fish right now? Um, I think uh, right now, um, at least down down around where we are in Auburn, pretty much the last time – or we had a tournament March 14th on Lay Lake, and we actually weighed four of the five fish that we caught bed fishing. So I think down around here, especially on Eufaula, like most of these fish are spawned out and they're they're kind of transitioning back out to the deeper water structure that they get, get on. And they're just in that post-spawn feeding mode right now, like especially on the Coosa River right now. They're, they're trying to feed up and uh, fatten up before they move back out. And you, you can catch some. I mean, they're not they're going to be skinny. You know, they're not going to weigh like they did the pre-spawn, but you can catch some pretty pretty big fish this time of year swimming a jig in the grass throwing a frog around it's pretty fun yeah that's fun what a fish right there for sure so let's just talk about spring bass fish in a minute it, and and it's on the coosa river uh you guys fish that a lot um you know are you are you like actively this time of year you know sight fishing i know it's a little harder with the muddy water are, are you fishing just a certain depth? Are you, you know, kind of what's your approach uh, when you go out right now? Right now, it's just like prime time. My my favorite way to fish in general is sight fishing, like catching them while they're spawning. And, you, I mean, sight fishing too can, uh, you see big, uh, big cruisers roaming around, whether they're looking to make a bed or they just finished spawning and they're just kind of like, cruising around looking for an easy snack you can catch those a lot of the times too if, if you can see them before they see you and you can throw over there in front of them you know whenever the water hits 60 degrees i'm looking at the moon i, I think i got this app to see what it's called it's called i think it's called moon on my phone it shows you the moon phases and pretty much whenever there's a full moon and it's this time of year or whenever it's a new moon at this time of year, I think a lot of them fish will pull up overnight and make beds. So I like to keep my trolling motor on a hundred and just go down the bank looking for fish. When you see a fish on the bed, a lot of times he sees you. Yes, sir. Uh, do you, does that, so, so in that situation, you've seen the fish, you throw whatever you're throwing, and he doesn't react. Maybe he's looking at you. Do you just sit there and wait him out until he starts relaxing and stay on that fish? Or at what point are you busted and you just forget it and move on? Or, or is there a point of that? You just kind of got to know. I mean, it, it comes with experience and time on the water and, and fishing for bedfish a lot, but like, I mean, I'll, I've heard John Cox, professional fisherman, say, you know, he can look at a fish and in 30 seconds he'll know if he can catch it or not. I, I wouldn't consider myself at that level, but you just kind of – you can kind of see their demeanor. You know, sometimes 
it's nice when you can find like a really aggressive one and you can make a couple pitches to it and it eats it right off the bat. But sometimes you got to stay with them, but like, it just depends on how, how, uh, how finicky they are. Like if you flip over there and it's, it shoots off the bed real quick, it doesn't come back for like 15 minutes. And that's probably a sign that that fish isn't very locked on and it's going to be very difficult to catch. But mm-hmm. if you can kind of get them locked onto the bed, like, like obviously you want to pitch past the fish and bring it back to the bed. You don't want to be flipping on its head. Otherwise that's going to spook it off too. If it's not really going very far and coming right back to the bed, then that's probably when I'll sit there and power pull down and make an effort to spend some time to catch that fish. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good tip. What are what are your springtime, uh, you know, uh, go to baits? Go to bait in the spring, you know, when I'm trolling down the bank, depending on what structure there is, you know, if if there's a bunch of grass, I'm I usually got like a little uh, skinny dipper or like a swim jig or something that I can just burn across the grass while I'm looking. You know, it's almost like you're fishing but you're mainly looking for bed fish, but like you do catch some fish doing that. It's just kind of like a, you just kind of, I don't know how to, how to like the multitasking is what that would be. It's what I would say that would be. Mm-hmm. And then I always have a wacky rig or some kind of weightless worm rigged up this time of year for those cruising fish, because that's one of the best key baits you can catch those fish with. If you can, if you can see them and throw it in front of their face, it's almost a 50-50 chance you're going to catch them. Yeah, that's good. Do you do much top water this time of year, or you pretty much stay with um, with with soft plastics and, and, and things and wacky rigs like you're talking about? Um, well, when I'm uh, – if there's grass and stuff like, like at Lay Lake, we're, I'm reeling a swim bait on braid or fishing a swim jig on braid over the top of the grass. So, like, it's not top water, but it's like subsurface right there. But I do like, I do like a horny toad this time of year, or like a a spro popping frog. That can be mm-hmm. a really good bait too. You know, it was real interesting. I was uh, last on the last show. Uh, we had a special show with Gerald Swindle with G Man on here, and and we were talking about sight fishing and springtime fishing. And you know, one of the things that I uh, I mentioned on there is I've in my mind, I'm always have thought, okay, fish are aggressive, they're feeding, and, and I'm probably fishing fairly fast for the fish. Yes, sir. And in listening to Gerald, he was completely opposite of that. He was like, even if I'm not seeing a fish on the bed and just fishing a certain area or a certain depth, I got to think there's a bed under there. And when a fish is on the bed, his, his range shrinks. He's not going to chase that boat, that bait way off, uh, like he will other times of the years. He said, and, uh, and, and sometimes they're reluctant to leave that bed. So even though he says, I pick up a lot of fish and tell a lot of people, you know, yeah, I know you want to throw that chatterbait out there and crank that sucker in and feel that vibration of it because it feels so good when you're reeling it and you just, it, it's hard not to. But if you'll throw that, slow it down, you know, yo-yo it, top water, pop R, pop it, wait a while, pop it. He's just, you know, it's it kind of goes against what I've always thought, to be honest with you, Logan, is as far as getting out there and churning and burning kind of. 
is to, yes, to slow that thing way down. Well, yeah, know. he's definitely right. Not necessarily fast top waters. Like I, w- I don't really like a spook right now, but like a popper, man, he's right. You got to be patient. Like I, I've got some and like I use them, but it's hard for me to slow that far down to throw a popper, you know, I know. because of the way that I like to fish. But that bait's very effective around the spawn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that's uh it's it's a great time of year to be out there. Hopefully this weather will improve. Where are you gonna be fishing next? Right now I'm not fishing anywhere because uh my boat's in the shop, unfortunately. Mm. I blew my power head for the second time about a week ago. That's fun. Um you just out there gassing but, on it, man. Just gas on yeah. tearing stuff up. Thankfully, thankfully we still got some warranty left, so we're getting the new power head put on there and hoping that uh, I'll be able to go pick it up tomorrow or Thursday. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Logan, man, I know that uh, I know there's been a lot going on with you guys here over the last week. Yeah, if people um, have not seen it, I'm, then you will, or I'm surprised if you haven't. But there's been some, some things going on with the Auburn fishing team. And uh, and that are still going on, and and I, I only want you to talk about stuff you're comfortable talking about. But for those of you who may not know, uh, the Auburn fishing team it's a club sport. Uh, you guys go out, you get your own sponsors. You're not scholarship athletes, but you're a club sport. I know that a lot of this has to do with COVID, but if I'm saying this right, you guys were basically suspended, correct? Yes, sir. We were originally suspended until mm-hmm. December 31st. Until this next uh, for for basically a year. Yes, sir. Okay, and and there again, I'll make sure I've got this right. It was basically for fishing tournaments, representing uh, like wearing Auburn gear and things like that am am i missing am i am i on track yes sir that's right they were uh they were saying that we violated the auburn university club covid travel policies by attending certain events and fishing college tournaments but there are other scholarship guys baseball all that stuff still going on I, 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 first of all, I hate that that, that happened. Obviously, you know, I'm a, a huge Auburn guy and uh, played baseball there myself. And so uh, everything Auburn's near and dear to my heart. It sounds like that as far as even yesterday uh, or earlier today, that some decisions have been made to that's going to allow you guys now to continue fishing. Yes, sir. We had a, uh, we had a, a big meeting yesterday between it was me um, and our treasurer, Rob, and my dad actually attended it with me. And shout out to my dad because I, uh, I couldn't have, couldn't have uh, organized all this and, and, you know, we couldn't have had that appeal meeting. And I don't think we would have been ex- as successful as we were without my dad stepping in and being there for us. But also uh, Dr. Woodard, is the VP of student affairs. He met with us. He listened to what we had to say um, with an open mind. And 
he was very willing to work with us. And uh, it, we had a very successful meeting, and I'm very happy to announce that the suspension has been reevaluated and shortened from a year, essentially, to April 22nd of this coming up month. So definitely a, a significantly shorter amount of time that we're not going to be able to fish. Man, that's that's great news, uh, Logan. That's that's incredible news, and and it sounds like that that Auburn and the university has has uh, done the right thing. You guys are in a really you're in a different uh, environment. I, I, not environment's not the right word. A, a different situation than um, a, a, a team that is you know, a scholarship team uh, supported financially by the university. You guys have to go out and raise your own money. You have to get sponsors. These sponsors pour money into your program so that you guys can have a successful season, so that you can have the entry fees, the, the, the equipment that you need to go out and be one of the top uh, top programs in the country uh, year after year. And I, I think that, you know, and this is just my take on it is that if you're, and, and this isn't just uh, an Auburn comment, it's, it's just for, for all the colleges. If, if your guys have contractual agreements with sponsors uh, to put their logo on their Jersey, then you guys have an obligation to do that. Uh, yes, sir an obligation to those sponsors and i i think that i think auburn was wrong for telling you guys that you couldn't and and issuing that year suspension with no warning to start with but that's just my thoughts and my opinions on it like i said i'm i'm glad that they have now stepped up and and done the right thing and shortened that greatly and the support that you guys got through this have been has been unbelievable. I mean, I, I, from what I know, you've had a ton of people come to the table on y'all's behalf to try to get this uh, rectified and get this suspension turned. Yes, sir. The amount of sort, uh, support has been amazing. You know, I, I felt like for for a little while we were kind of in a, a no win situation. You know, like we either support our sponsors and fulfill like our contract obligations or we're at odds. But if we do that, you know, we're at odds with the travel restrictions. So it just, it, we were put in a really tough position. I'm really happy to see the amount of support that we've gotten. You know, I mean, I've always been told that the fishing industry is a very small, but tight knit group. And we've seen that over the past several days. I mean, we had, news news people reaching out to us i mean we've got that someone started a petition that has i think almost twenty two thousand signatures on it the newest thing i've seen is is some fan of the team has started to go fund me for us which is i mean really awesome but like professional like anglers reaching out to me calling me like offering their uh, their words of support and reaching out to the university and writing in emails and letters you know, expressing their feelings as I think that that really helped a lot and showed that there's a lot of people out there that are fans of fishing and the Auburn University bass team in general. 
We are in the state of Alabama. We've got one of the top fishing states in the country. Support, yeah, you're going to get support because uh, there's a lot of people in this state that love to fish and are passionate about it. We're blessed with incredible fisheries. And, uh, man, that's got to feel good to see even those pro anglers stepping up, uh, reaching out to the university on y'all's behalf, reaching out to y'all as the fishermen and the guys that are running this team and have grown this team and put it together. So at the end of the day, it's a great story. I mean, it's, 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 it, uh, things happened that ended up happening that needed to happen and Auburn, uh, ended up doing the right thing. So hats off to Auburn as well. And the people that make those decisions, I watched a video of you guys on your Facebook page. Man, unbelievable. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, go look up. And I think I'm saying this right. It's the Auburn Auburn Bass Fish. What's the Facebook page? Just so I don't get it wrong, Logan. Uh, it's just the Auburn University Bass Team. But the video may be hard to find on Facebook. So go to our YouTube channel. Just search up the Reclamation Series, like Auburn University Bass Team, the Reclamation Series. Man, phenomenal video, guys. If y'all haven't had the chance to see that, I urge you to go watch it. It is uh, extremely professional done. Man, who, who whoever came in there and orchestrated that deal did a phenomenal job putting it together. And uh, you personally did an amazing job as well. So congratulations to, to you and all the fishing team on that. I mean, y'all are putting some good stuff out there. Yes, sir. Got to give a shout-out to our uh... – our cameraman, editor, producer, everything. His name is Brandon Fiend. He's 18 years old, and uh, he lives in Colorado, but he's been flying out and working with us on the Reclamation Series, which is a video series that we wanted to create that really just goes in depth, you know, behind the scenes, college fishing at its best. Like, like it's not, I guess, that – the first episode was cool. Like it's an introductory episode, you know, and then we've got our next episode coming out for our Lake Harwell event, which was several weeks ago or about a month ago, but he's going to follow us around to all of the Bassmaster college events this year. And we're going to have an episode for each event that just really shows what it's like to fish in, in college and what it's like to fish for Auburn. And I think it's going to be really cool. And uh, we're very excited to see what else, is to come i've already seen almost the final production for the uh lake harwell episode and i gotta tell you man you're gonna love it i can't wait to see it i can't wait to see it logan that's exciting man and it'll uh that, that just goes that's gonna really help to promote you guys and and to get more fishermen and more college guys uh, making the decision to come to Auburn and be a part of that team. So congratulations on that. Well, Logan, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for the segment. Congratulations on the, the suspension being lifted. So, man, good luck to you and the Auburn fishing team throughout the rest of the year. And, man, we look forward to having you on again soon, brother. You're always welcome to jump on. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. We're definitely excited to get back out on the water I guess April 22nd, we're very thankful that Auburn University was willing to uh, sit down and, and negotiate with us and have an open mind, and we're uh, very excited to get that reduced for sure. Dang right, man. Well, congratulations on that. Stay safe out there, brother. We'll talk to you again soon.
Yes, sir. War Eagle. War Eagle. Awesome, man. Well, uh, always love to have Logan on the show. He is one of the guys that has been very instrumental with getting really getting the getting the Auburn fishing team to where it is now, which is one of the top top fishing programs in the country. Congratulations to those guys, and we look forward to seeing what they're going to do throughout the year. All right, folks. Kusa Talapusa report brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat services on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians visit them at 4500 highway 77 south side alabama 35907 or give them a call at 256-442-2588 and brought to you by sun south from outdoors equipment parts service accessories sun south has you covered on the best for less visit sun south or sunsouth.com for quality john deere equipment sun south for those that do. All right, folks, that's going to be a wrap for the week. Please subscribe, rate, drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And as always, if you'd like us to email you podcast, just text the word fishing to 646-495-9867, and we will email you the show each and every week. We'd like to thank you all for listening. Be sure and tell your friends about us, and we'll talk to you next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com. And these guys know how to grow big. And brought to you by... Sun South, from outdoor equipment, parts, services, accessories, Sun South has you covered on the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South, for those that do. And brought to you by Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. At BucksIslands.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks for sale. Give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.